This episode of Radio Atlantic is brought to you by Microsoft Copilot for Security. In the age of AI, we're empowering security teams to better detect and better defend cyber threats. Stay tuned to find out how. Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hello, this is The Review, a podcast from the Atlantic's culture team about movies, television, and all the things we make to entertain ourselves. I'm David Sims. I'm a staff writer at The Atlantic, and normally I'd be joined by two other members of the culture team, but instead I'm talking with two new voices on this show. Uh, We got senior editor Van Newkirk. Sup, sup. Hi, and Ross Anderson, deputy editor of The Atlantic. Mm, Happy to be here. I have watched a basketball game with you, Ross. Not with you, Van, I don't think, but... We got to do it sometime. Yeah, we should. I'm a big Hornets fan. I feel like this is an ambush. Like, you all had me on here just to drag the Lakers. <laughs> and so I'm just ready. Came with my battle armor. I'm a Knicks fan, personally. I don't, I mean, I don't know. Man, do you have Lakers animosity? Like, I don't even know where I feel. Oh, yes. How I'm I feel dying. Lakers this. I'm dying. Okay, so you're Because, like, yeah. as a Knicks fan, a lot of my hatred gets distributed to the villains of my youth. Like, the Pacers, yeah. the Rockets, the Celtics, obviously. Right? Like... But, I mean, I don't like the Lakers. It's not like I'm ever going to be like too jazzed about the Lakers being good. Well, you know where Kobe was drafted and refused uh, to play. Indeed, so. I do. That's true. Yeah. You got the great Vlade Divac out of that. Yeah, we got Divac in there instead of Kobe. <laughs> Worked out great. Um, we're talking basketball because we're here to talk about Winning Time, the HBO series about the 1980s Los Angeles Lakers. This first season of it, which just wrapped up is set uh, during the team's 1979-1980 championship season. And it's about Jerry Buss. It's about Magic Johnson. It's about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's about a million other things. It has like 400 people in the cast. It's got like a dozen major storylines that are sort of being like jumped around. Uh, It's caused Jerry West to say he wants to sue HBO all the way to the Supreme Court. (laughs) <laughs> it was like one of the it's one of the most hyped shows of the year were you guys pumped for it like in advance like what was this it's based on a book uh obviously by jeff perlman what do you like what, what were you guys thinking about winning time like before it debuted like were you interested or were you skeptical I was obviously interested. I mean, I, I felt like I was in the Truman Show and someone had made like a special pop cultural product that was just for me. I love the Showtime Lakers. That's where my Laker love started. My kids both were 32 and youth basketball for Magic Johnson. Like we are a Magic Johnson household. So yeah, I was pumped. I also, it's funny, I know we're going to get into this a bit later, but a lot of the controversy about how these guys were depicted yeah, I guess I didn't fear that so much because a lot of this stuff seemed to me like it was priced into their reputations already. Um, so I certainly didn't have any fear going in that like, oh no, these heroic figures of my youth are going to be unmasked or anything like that. Right. Plenty has been written over the years about all of the sort of sudsy drama of the Showtime. Like, like it's not like the, any of these figures are seen as like innocent heroes right they everyone was up to something or other right i mean yeah by and large i mean the original book is it's not it's not it's not juicy you right. know 
I was interested. The number one thing on my TV before I had kids, I used to, when I was bored and didn't have anything else to watch, I would just turn on like hardwood classics. So this is obviously, you know, a show that's tailored to my interest as well. I'm a big Laker hater, as we've established. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I got a chance to go and see, you know, all the things about the Laker mythology that I've hated forever. But also I'm a big Magic and Kareem fan and just have followed the history of them being in the world. And so I was interested. Yeah, it's hard to find more things than a show about basketball on HBO Max that are going to get me to, to watch. You right. Know, that, that, that's this, it. That's it. This is exactly how I felt. I mean, yes, I'm a Knicks fan. I'm not a Lakers fan. This is the Showtime Lakers are before my basketball watching days, but it's certainly like just the mythology you're taught, right? As you're getting into basketball, so much of it is around this time. And then the show premiered and it got kind of mixed reviews and the, 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 the initial buzz was so much about like, hey, what are they getting wrong and why are they doing this that I actually avoided it for a few weeks. And then I, I like sort of, I just started, you know, binging it. And I found, I did find it incredibly watchable. I don't know how you guys felt by and large, and we should get into that, but it at least was always an easy thing to have on. Yeah. I've never like had it on and had a real urge to turn it off. I have real reactions to lots of, I think, current TV where if I don't like it, you know, I really don't like it. And this, you know, I, I think I've always made the case for the comeback of mediocre TV, of regular TV, of average TV. And I feel like this was it for me. Yeah, I would agree with that. Ross? Yeah, I, I found it eminently watchable also. It left me, I mean, I don't know if we're ready to get into our deep impressions of the show, but it has left me surprisingly cool throughout, given that the subject matter, I'm like in the Venn diagram for the target audience. And I don't know if that's the sort of Adam McKayness of it, like the the Instagram filters uh, that they're using, uh, like to retrofy it, strike me as weird. I feel like like one of the pleasures of period television is like, getting the really cinematic treatment of an era that you did not inhabit, or at least you don't have fresh memories from. And so seeing it through a kind of like grainy VHS thing is weird. Mm-hmm. But yes. look, the, the, the pace, you know, the flip side of that, the pace is really kinetic. I never was, was ready to flip away for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, this show, the pilot is directed by Adam McKay, who is an you know, Oscar winning filmmaker. Everyone knows him from his comedies. And then his more recent, it's, it, it's very, you know, it's imitating his more recent style that he shows off in like the other guys and vice and stuff where, you know, someone will look into the camera all of a sudden and be like, and my name is magic Johnson or like, <laughs> like the film, like you say, the, fi- the film will switch. There's jump cuts for no reason. Uh, th- there'll be a freeze frame. Like someone will say like, and I never did cocaine and there's a freeze frame. And then it says like, yes, he did. Like I'm, I'm making this up, but that is the general vibe. I would say, you know, there was a time when that was a more kind of like different and intriguing thing to do. And now Mm. I would, it's gotten a little tiring. It's especially tiring on a weekly television show. Like it's one thing to Mm -hmm. do this in a movie where you're locked in with it. But like I, my wife would look up from like, she would be doing work and she'd be like, why is it like grainy? And then VHS, and you know, like, why is it doing that now? It used to be like, I don't know. It's like the '80s. <laughs> I didn't really have an answer for her, right? Like, I don't. I don't know what the thematic purpose of that is, except that this is in the past. Yeah, but like, like you said, it was. It would switch formats between past formats. It wasn't like a consistent 
past look. Like I would be looking at Jerry West and he would be grainy. And then I would go and get a drink and he would be <laughs> glossy in the next scene. Very glossy. Like, what, what, what's going yeah. on? Um, yeah, I didn't yeah. quite get that. And also I think among Adam McKay things, it felt to me most like the big short. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think the things that that did it for me in the big short, especially when they do the asides to explain all the you know complex how, financial how mechanisms, whatever. Right. You understand there's a bit of magic there, and you don't really have to understand it to get the story. Hmm. It is. I feel like that was a bad approach for talking about basketball, especially the stuff they talk about. It's like, this is a fast break and they turn to you and explain a fast break. And it's like, come on, man, you know, you got to have a little bit of faith in the audience here. This is, we're not talking about CDOs here. We're not talking about like credit default swaps. We're talking about putting the ball in the hoop. Um, and, we're, and we're talking about the right. most famous basketball team of all time, arguably. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not even talking about some obscure part of the NBA. This is Magic and Kareem. This is the Showtime Lakers. Like, yeah, why do we need all these sort of breakouts? We're 13 games in. We got lightning in a bottle. We got a genius coach, young phenom, coupled with the greatest player in the league, right here, smack dab in the heart of the entertainment capital of the world. Just to sort of give the basic setup, it's it's about essentially Jerry Buss's first season owning the team and Magic's first season on the team. The 79-80 Lakers, we're going to spoil the season, you know, spoilers, the Lakers won the title. Um, it's it's kind of structured dramatically a little oddly in that like we don't even Mm. get to the start of the season until about halfway in to the TV season. So it's a lot of setup about Jerry buying the team, about who they're going to draft, about magic fitting in, about, you know, the coaching situation, all that. A lot of Lansing too. (laughs) Like first couple episodes, a ton of Lansing, (laughs) a ton of the Johnson family, (laughs) things like that. And this is always a challenge I find with like true story narratives. It's like, I'm watching and I'm like, yeah, I know they're going to draft Magic Johnson. Like, yeah. I know that he's going to be good. So, yeah, I feel like this show, especially early on, falls guilty to that sort of thing where they're just trying to juice things up wherever they can. I had the same sense. Like, for me, even though I was super excited about the show, I kind of left it behind, actually, after three episodes or so and then came back to it after it was at seven or eight for that reason. And I feel like it really picked up for me around four when they were in Palm Springs. I don't know if that was the... Yeah. When they hit training camp. And yeah. the the Jack McKinney storyline, which I actually, out of all the elements of the show, was something that I knew probably the least about, I found interesting. Um, him as sort of the architect of the Showtime style of play and him being one of the complicated guys in that yeah. show where he's sympathetic in certain ways but also kind of a jerk in others that's where it really came alive and, and seeing them on the practice floor i thought those scenes were really well done and and had like a high level of tension run it hey, hey pass the ball what the fuck i ran again what you said at the top david about there being kind of 15 storylines in this thing yeah it does seem like they don't know what arc to really pursue at the center of it which is why i found that kind of middle stretch of episodes where we're focused on mckinney and then the succession with riley and westhead kind of fighting yes. to sort of keep the team was sort of the most interesting sustained arc for me up until the Palm Springs episode, you know, you've got essentially a, what I would say is a bunch of shorts about yep. the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And then you get a little bit of narrative cohesion. You get the story about, you know, how Showtime was actually built, which is what this season, you know, kind of is about. 
and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you get the sense of of you know it's a you hit all the beats. You know, he comes in, he's a jerk. People aren't buying into the approach. And then they, you know, they, they realize that he's got something there. And even as played and trite as that is, it works. It, it actually pulls together a story in a real way that's not present in the beginning. But then I think it also kind of falls apart at the end. So, yeah, if I can just, I'm just going to try to lay out what the major storylines of the season are. And I agree with you a bit, <laughs> Ross, that it just, this show can't quite settle on what it should be about. In my opinion, the Magic Kareem dynamic is probably what it should be about. But I do think it's just, there's so much other stuff that it's easy to get distracted by that they kind of, you know, flit around. So you've got Jerry Buss, played by John C. Riley, who is guy who bought the lakers in 1979 so there's a storyline about him building the plane in midair and you know trying to keep all everything uh, solvent and revamp the team blah 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 and you know it's you got his mother played by sally field you got his daughter genie who of course will one day run the lakers who's been completely crowbarred into this story from what i understand so you got the bus stuff then you got Magic Johnson, played by Quincy Isaiah, being drafted. His uh, future wife, Cookie, you know, his, you know, sexual misadventures, his fitting in with the team. You got all that. You got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's played by Solomon Hughes, who's sort of the established star, obviously one of the most famous basketball players of all time. Him dealing with the fact that, like, he, he sort of hates stardom and he, you know, he has a lot of problems with the the way, you know, america is <laughs> i don't know he's such a fascinating guy career has always been the most fascinating person exactly yeah. um <laughs> then you've got jerry west played by jason clark who is a former lakers star who was the old coach who is eaten up by you know all kinds of anxieties and insecurities and stuff like that then you've got jack mckinney like you say played by tracy letts the new coach who has this uh, sort of shakespeare quoting assistant in paul westhead played by jason siegel <laughs> And then Pat Riley, an old coach, played by Adrian Brody. And I'm starting to get overwhelmed. And then there's stuff like uh, Wood Harris kind of has a, a supporting role as Spencer Haywood, who's an old veteran who gets brought into the team and is <laughs> dealing with drug issues. I, and I do feel like I'm missing stuff. I think there's other stuff. There's uh, Gabby Hoffman plays Claire Watt Rothman, who sort of ran the business side of the forum where yeah. they, with the Lakers played. You got kind of an arc there that sort of flits in and out. And then just a bunch of other stuff on top of all this. Like they dip into, you know, uh, Jerry Tarkanian of the, the Tarkanian mob arc. Yes. Oh, right. Yeah. That, that, that pops up for an episode. You got sort of Michael yeah. Chiklis's red Auerbach from the Celtics. who ran the Celtics <laughs> popping in. You got Larry bird. Who's played by this guy who really looks like Larry birds. Sean Patrick small is his name. Mm-hmm. He's, he's <laughs> dipping in. It's extremely overwhelming. I haven't even mentioned like Dr. J is in this show. Richard mm. Pryor pops up. There's so <laughs> much going on paula abdul is in this in the show paula abdul, yes that's right the, the origin yeah. of the laker yeah. girls is even like <laughs> virtuoso performance by david sims just now <laughs> sorry that's a lot I mean, of storylines I, I was just looking <laughs> at the cast <laughs> list incredible and flitting around and like it's the i would say there's there's a few problems that I, they're trying to untangle one is just that the amount of storylines they can dip into two is that as interesting as the, sh- the first season of the showtime lakers is it actually doesn't end with Magic and Larry facing off. Like the Lakers mm-hmm. ended up playing the Philadelphia 76ers in the finals. So it can't quite do this sort of like Magic versus Larry arc. So it kind of yeah. has to have Larry Bird in the background. So maybe that's why 
the show couldn't quite settle down on one thing. I do have like unreserved praise for the show and how they drag Boston as this sort of like yes. grim, cold capital of American racism. <laughs> it's great. Yes. Yes. I think we all can agree. <laughs> the way they I, get to know, go after Boston is great. And the annoying yeah. swagger of Boston, at, yeah. especially at this time when they were not quite, you know, they obviously were the old dynasty that had won all the titles, you know, with Bill Russell. When there were eight teams in the league. But, but right. Just, yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and in the 70s, they what they won a title or two, maybe. But like, the, but there's still the sort of like the swaggering kind of like, eh, you know, like, we're mm-hmm. better than you. Like, that's coming off of everybody on the Celtics. Championships on one. They're taken by men like me who cut your heart out and still sleep like a baby for one more banner in the rafters. Can we talk about Kareem a little bit? Because sure. I, I share your sense, David, that that Kareem is one of the most interesting figures in American sports, full stop. And uh, the show doesn't do much with him, actually. He has a lot of screen time. He never really does anything surprising. They kind of settle into that sort of flat. Kareem is kind of unapproachable. Right. Especially in the, the first half of the season, he really is yeah. quite backgrounded. Yeah. Yeah, like Kareem is someone who's under-dramatized in pop culture, and I wanted to see more out of that and don't feel like I got it. Yeah, this one felt, actually, to me, you know, as much as they've gotten about not being faithful to reality, you know, as much as people are trying to sue them to the Supreme Court, this is actually where I felt like they were not taking risks in maybe service of not getting people upset. Because it does feel like, number one, this is a, a lot of, you know, I think... The book is sort of has Kareem off in a corner. Kareem is unapproachable. And, but as you're reading the book, you know, that's a plot point. And it feels uh, like a like a lot more of a viable plot in a book than it does in a show. Just have a guy who's kind of standing there, you know, looking vaguely upset at the camera. <laughs> and I think, like you said, Ross, the when there is there are moments of humanity later in the show, if you don't have a sense of him as a younger person outside this time frame if you don't have a sense of like where his life has been as much you don't really it, it, it comes out of nowhere you know mm-hmm. he, he's i feel like he's strangely flat and to me that does feel like a symptom of them playing it at safe or basing it you know very strictly on the ip with that said you know i still do love some of just how he seems to be upset at even being in the show. It feels almost meta to me. Yes. He, like, he doesn't want to be there at all. Right. Uh, yeah. Is it, is it that Kareem is the most, Kareem is the, the biggest blogger of, of anyone in this, <laughs> in this cast, right? So like, yeah, I guess he's the one you're most afraid is going to fire up a blog. And then it cur- turned out Jerry West actually got the maddest. But, uh, Are we not counting I, Magic Johnson's tweets? Well, Magic's like the best tweeter, <laughs> without a doubt. Oh, wow. Let me yeah. read this most I feel like tweets. the Kareem actor is too handsome, too. Like, I think you lose something of Kareem's sort of mystery and appeal when you uh, cast someone who's that handsome and kind of lose the, like, sort of bug-eyed goggles look. Like, he, d- I, I feel like that was part of the Kareem mystique, was how right. sort of a kind of somewhat odd-looking human he is. Sort of And alien. he seems sort of right. flattened. Yeah. I mean, he's. I mean, he's very handsome. This guy uh, Solomon Hughes is very handsome. I do think he's pretty good at projecting mm. the sort of, 
you know, whatever, aloofness, which is, like Van is saying, mostly what they want from him. I've had a little while to get to know you now. Mm -hmm. I appreciate the youthful energy you bring. (laughs) Where? Thanks, Cap. What about Quincy Isaiah's Magic Johnson, though, who obviously Magic is the being presented as the opposite of Kareem. He's always smiling. He's happy. He's cheerful. He wants to, you know, get the whole team involved. He's mm. just looking to have a, a party. You know, it, it's, it's sort of the magic we probably know. But this is bigger than the game. How you comport yourself, how mm-hmm. people receive you mm. in the public eye, that's how the world sees all of us, everybody. You saying I don't act right? I do think his acting is, is is invigorating. It's a little raw, I think, especially in the beginning. Um, both both of re- these actors, it's like their first time, yeah. in in mm-hmm. anything, and which is impressive. It's impressive. Um, you can definitely, I think, this is why the Lansing scenes don't quite work for me as well because mm-hmm. you do have him in a more intimate setting. You can mm-hmm. see you've got lots of other, you know lifelong actors in these scenes with him and i think he does kind of stand out in those scenes but you know when i think it you really get the machine going in mid-season i think he really uh he does it and i think that's actually what dragged me through the parts of the show that i wasn't too enthusiastic about i just really enjoy watching him play magic Um, yeah yeah just seeing and actually that was a storyline that to me aside from the coaching and the actual dawn of showtime it did, although I do know all the beats of it, it still is one of those, I guess, archetypal stories that like still resonates with me as somebody coming and, you know, finding his way, not from Hollywood and who's having to adjust and gets caught up in the life. That's still interesting to me. Yeah, I thought Quincy Isaiah is pretty great. I mean, it's it's sometimes casting for physical likeness, I feel like, can go disastrously wrong. This, I think, works really well. I mean, he does look remarkably like him, especially in profile. The actress that plays uh, Cookie is really incredible. And for me, especially as the season progresses, that's where you saw Quincy Isaiah, I feel like, come alive in those really intimate settings. You're right, Van and and Lansing, not so much. Um, But I just feel like some of their exchanges later, I really felt emotionally for Magic in a way that I didn't, always not because of the acting but just because of the storyline like he is to this point such a lifelong winner you know like they are playing up this rivalry with bird which is real but again as i as i am always at, uh stressed to remind people right magic beat bird in college at this point he gets a title in his first year like what what is this rivalry um right. birds down oh two as far as i'm concerned but the the dynamic with uh cookie i think is is really has a lot of dramatic tension for it and by the way if you, if you guys haven't watched the documentary they, they call me magic it's called right they, call me, they magic. call me magic and you could tell from the title it is like a five-hour commercial for magic johnson except right. they do get pretty deep on the cookie stuff and it makes the stuff in the show frankly look like hagiography of magic everything about winning time is pretty peppy like even when Mm -hmm. it's dealing with darker or more fraught material it's still just like a very glossy fizzy show even when it's like about spencer haywood like struggling to (laughs) you know stay alive like and stay awake on the court and all that and like so maybe do you think they're just like that it's too dramatic it's too much of a bummer or i i don't know like or do you think they're actually a little gun shy 
the full depth of magic portrayals like unfolds over kind of 10 years like just some awful facts from the documentary like she was never invited to a playoff game of magics until the title the I'm sorry the NBA finals against the Bulls that the Lakers lost in 91 kind of the end of the showtime wow. run that's crazy um, wow you know broke off three engagements pretty cruelly and and that stuff hasn't happened yet to be fair right but they sort of show him wrestling with it in a way that I think does magic some favors in winning time. Whereas the documentary, which uh, again, oddly, the rest of it is just like, here's Magic Johnson, the greatest winner that ever lived, does really go deep on the cookie stuff in a, in a way that's really unflattering. Like I watched it with my 12-year-old son who worships Magic Johnson, and he was like right. bumming about magic after that. I mean, Magic is quite open about that stuff, I guess, to his credit. You know, you're making me sound like a real bad dude just right now. Just telling you the truth, how real friends do. We ain't friends. you just some chick I used to hit. Okay, so the thing that you're bringing up here, Ross, that I think is interesting is, like, this show has come under a lot of scrutiny for, like, how close to the truth is it? How much is it inflating things just to, to create some drama for serialized television? But then on the opposite end, I do feel like sports documentaries are starting to tilt towards a lot of these things are produced by the person it's about or something like that. Even The Last Dance in 2020, which was so much fun to watch, you know, it had this you couldn't quite escape the fact that Michael Jordan was deeply involved in its making. Like it was never, it was trying to be like, this is the real story and this is everything. But you know, when you're working with the subject, you're going to have that kind of conflict come up. Like, do you, so like, you know, is there a way to chart a middle path on this or is it just kind of like how it is? Like it's, it, it, it's funny that the magic thing came up at the same time. Well, you know, The Last Dance, as much as I loved it, yeah, it, it's totally, you know, the house approved it, right? Um, and it is right. a very, it, it, the reason why it was so popular is because it tells us a story we already know, and we get to relive it, we get to be nostalgic for it, and it's a narrative that was already created by by his team, by the NBA, by Nike and the Jordan brand, and we got to dip into that nostalgia. That was what people needed at that time in the pandemic. And I think that's actually sort of where a lot of these documentaries, not just sports documentaries, but just the form as as content collides and merges into one, basically just be injecting it directly into our brainstem soon mm. enough. It's the same way with the Kanye West documentary with, mm. with Genius. You know, as much as I loved watching it, it was totally approved by, you know, he's a producer on the thing. The footage comes very intimately from him. You get the sense that although it does run up against the controversies, you know, if it had gone too far, I wouldn't have ever seen the light of day. And that's kind of the vehicle now. Um, it's very effective. But, yeah, I don't know if there's a middle path. Yeah, I I thought the last dance for people who aren't NBA heads, like the people on this podcast, did complicate the figure of Jordan for people who had only seen him as a kind of commercial symbol of excellence right. kind of their entire lives. And the Magic Doc just doesn't do that. As for a middle path, it's a good question. You know, we see this in, in our tiny little industry, right? With now that stars have their own access to social media, it's hard to get them to sit down for something that's like a, like a really objective magazine profile. So it, it does seem like the trend is leading there. Yeah, does anybody want the middle path? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm no shade. This is not shade because I'm a major, you know, I, I watch Kim Burns. If Kim Burns did a documentary on the air we breathe, you know, I'd be there for all six episodes. <laughs> But nobody wants Ken Burns presents Magic Johnson 
Nobody wants no, no. Nobody I wants mean, the cowboy <laughs> guy, you know, narrating Larry Bird's life. Like it just, it's, it's, it's just not like going a to A slow zoom on a Larry Bird card. And like I say, I speak as someone who literally owns Ken Burns' baseball on a disc. Like that's mm. how much I like it. But wow. he was suited to that material, I would say, especially, you know, pre-televised baseball. Um, right. No, I mean, that's the thing. The magic of The Last Dance was like, sure, you you know, you have to deal with Michael Jordan being involved in producing it, but you're going to get this trove of footage that is just so compelling. It's worth the access. That'd be the right. Mm-hmm. Like, it, that's it's absolutely worth the access. But on the other side of things, then you have winning time. You have things like this. It's also, it's ridiculous that this is called Winning Time. The book is called Showtime. <laughs> the Lakers were the Showtime Lakers. HBO is uh, clearly just like, well, we can't call something after another premium cable network. But there yeah. was, I, wasn't there that 30 for 30 about the Knicks called Winning Time? Why is this called Winning Time? Does anyone know? <laughs> is there any real reason? <laughs> it's just funny that it's called Winning Time. I think it's fine, you know, to compress things, to, to maybe occasionally insert a character who's sort of a composite things like, you know, things that uh, these sort of docu shows and docu movies do all the time. But with Jerry West, that that's someone who has talked about in very real terms about the depression he struggled with as a player and as an executive. And the show is sort of like, you know, he was this sort of loud pain in the ass who was always like breaking golf clubs and like <laughs> quitting in front of everyone. And, you know, was it, I, I feel like it, it does have to cartoonize him a little bit just to make things a little pulpier. Jerry West, head coach of the Lakers, basketball legend. Considered a true gentleman of the sport. To everyone who does not know him. And, you know, are we losing something when we do that? I don't know. Like, you know, I hmm. he he's alive. He can go out there and say, like, hey, this isn't accurate. That's fine. You know, and I don't think the Supreme Court is going to be interested in his case. But what do you guys <laughs> make of that kind of like, you know, is it trivializing or is it just kind of like necessary for good TV? On the one hand, I think it's just, you know, it's good TV. It, it, well, I don't want to say good. It, it's 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 regular TV, um, mm. as I described it earlier. It, it's it makes it you know dramatic. There was no way I think to even justify including him in the story at this point if you didn't have this part of this arc of this character. I mean, like it's just there's no reason to be paying attention to Jerry West. He resigns. He's out the door. They have a new coach. It's showtime. That's the beat. And if you want mm. to have a reason to to care about him, uh, you know, spoiler alert, when he comes back to the Lakers later in the next season, you have to establish some reason to care about him now. And so just like from a storytelling art perspective, that's how that cookie crumbles. You know, I think uh, he's also right to be upset about it. If it, if it's not true to his life, he's not going to win any lawsuits over it, but mm-hmm. I think he's right to be upset about it. I would be upset about it if, you know, they, they made a, a fictionalized version of Atlantic and I was throwing things out of windows. <laughs> I, I wouldn't love it. I wouldn't love it, but that's the the medium. Yeah, I, I feel like I was really sympathetic to Jerry West's claims when I'd only seen the season opener. Yes. And he's like it's, breaking it's, it's, things it's the, the whole time. The front couple and episodes. Like, huh. Yeah. I was like, that, that's not my sense of Jerry West, and I wasn't there, but just, you know, understanding something of sort of the myth of him, that felt like too much. Um, as the season 
progressed. I felt like they complicated his character in interesting ways, and he actually comes across as pretty sympathetic. The alcohol sort of retreats, or at least retreats to the median for everyone in management in this show. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I thought the the use of him sort of like muttering and kind of yelling in the in the halls of the of the forum or the Spectrum Arena in the finale was kind of a cheap dramatic device to sort of pump tension into that game six that yeah, wasn't so all that tense. Yeah, so they don't have to film as much basketball. <laughs> right, right. Yes. They can just cut away from it. Yeah, I thought that was like a little cheap, but other than that, I, I feel like Jerry came out okay, um, and, and he shouldn't be too sad about it. Uh, yeah, I would agree. It's, it's, it's the early episodes where, again, they kind of, the early episodes had the biggest problem of needing complications when the complications are not that severe. Jerry's gonna buy the team. Magic is gonna get <laughs> drafted. Blah, blah, blah. So... And, you know, if if Kareem stereotypically is the, you know, the aloof kung fu master who no one could really understand and Magic is the happy smiley guy who had too much fun sometimes, Jerry is, right? He's the guy who won MVP of a finals that he didn't win. Like, he is the, mm-hmm. the sort of eternally tortured guy who only climbed the mountain once and was usually you know losing at the finals hey welcome him in here he is jerry fucking west mvp the most valuable fucking loser award 1969 celtics four lakers three jerry west you know like i understand why they kind of slot him into the role he's got which is like a slightly more tortured guy but like you say ross it does kind of smooth out by the end like he he Everything in this show kind of settles down by the end. Everyone's sort of settled into the characters they're playing, and the arcs feel a little more clear, you know, going forward, if that makes sense. I just feel like Jerry's probably mad that they haven't fast forwarded to the scene where he uh, traded Vlade Divac to uh, Vans Hornets for Kobe Bryant. <laughs> oh, goodness. I still dream about it. <laughs> We're entering a new era of security. Cyber threats are escalating rapidly. And while tech alone can't eliminate every threat, it can empower security teams to quickly respond to incidents at scale. Microsoft is transforming the industry by innovating to arm teams with the resources necessary to outpace adversaries and operate at machine speed. Microsoft Copilot for Security, powered by generative AI, works alongside defenders. Stay tuned to learn more about Copilot's capabilities after the episode. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between, like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. The coaching thing, like you said this, Ross, like that is the thing where I knew the least. Like I didn't really know about Jack McKinney, who's played by Tracy Letts, who was the coach of the Lakers essentially for like 13 games uh, in 1979 and sort of installed this sort of proto Showtime system, right? That is going to become how they play basketball. There's more run and gun system. And then he injured himself in a bike accident and, you know, never really came back. Like he, he... He did recover, but he was seriously injured. He had all these memory problems. The the tactics of the Showtime Lakers is the thing that is genuinely was a little revolutionary, right? Like I'm, I'm not simplifying mm-hmm. yeah. this. Yeah, no, like, I, think so that- I, I appreciate digging into that. I want to know about that. 
That's right. They, they, when they bring it in for the first time, you know, I think it is interesting. But also I think how they like sort of with their insistence on never showing an actual more than five seconds, continuous seconds of basketball, uh, it, it gets tough trying to show how that actually played out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, my argument, um, one of my, you know, if the NBA comes up at a, a dinner party, one of my famous trolls is to say that Magic Johnson is is the greatest player ever. And, and you know, the only real argument in my quiver is that he made the game beautiful, right? Um, just by, by making it a game of flow and movement as opposed to sort of locking down in the half court, throwing it into a big man and then swinging around Princeton style. But you're right. They don't even really do whole fast breaks. No. They cut away right when he passes. Um, yeah. And... You don't really get a sense of that continuous flow as much as they're sort of claiming to be like, hey, this was an amazing contribution and we want to aestheticize it for all time. You don't really get that. You don't get the showtime. I really feel like you don't get the, you, you, especially the way, even when they do keep the scenes going, the way the scenes are edited, they're edited in like the white men can't jump style, which is <laughs> like you see the ball in the air <laughs> right. and then you have a cut to like a cl- <laughs> clearly set up. Like it's just like so... That's why there's so many alley-oops also, because apparently that, mm-hmm. that's just, you know, easy way to film basketball. But yeah, you don't really get a sense of like what's mm-hmm. going on on the court, the motion. And it may just be a limitation here with the actors and, you know, doing this type of thing. But it did feel like between what I felt was a, a deficit in the on-court portrayal and just the f- very frustrating the big short style cutouts to explaining mm-hmm. things. I felt like if you came into this trying to understand where this brand of basketball actually came from and are interested in that on that level, mm-hmm. you don't get much. What are you doing? Setting up for the inbound. No, 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 no setting up. Kareem, hit him on the go. Don't let the defense get its feet. I wanted them to make more use of Dr. J. Yeah. That was my main gripe. He is truly to me one of the most fascinating people in NBA history. Everybody focuses on the magic and bird rivalry. Everybody focuses on them as the two polar opposites in the league, which is, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's good stuff. But also, I think there's so much to wring out of magic and Dr. J. Dr. J being the stylistic predecessor for magic. Right. You know, mm-hmm. like creating the stylistic predecessor for Showtime in a way. Creating yeah. this brand of basketball that was considered contra kareem to be too black for mainstream viewers at the time too flashy too, too flashy too, you know, like this isn't how you play basketball blah 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 yeah yeah i wanted more of that i get that if you're making a show about the lakers you want magic and kareem in there you want all kinds of stuff at the forefront but i would be fascinated by something that zeroed in on the nitty-gritty of the tactical evolution that's going on behind the scenes like right you know like that the the sort of speciality of of what mckinney had thought about and and how revolutionary must have been to a player like kareem who did not play fast well maybe you want the kim burns documentary yeah i mean i i appreciate the challenge that this is trying to make entertaining television and like that's Mm -hmm. that's a real challenge and i just think that and i think that their response to that challenge was flooding the zone with just so many storylines and so many cameos and so much interesting stuff. And that's fine because it did keep me entertained. I can't deny that like 
I was I wasn't zoning. Maybe in the first couple episodes, I was zoning out a little bit here and there. But once we once the ball was rolling, once the Lakers machine was moving, I looked forward to these episodes. Like I was perfectly happy to have them on. And then what that's funny, all, considering that's yeah, considering that it's ending somewhere where I know it's going to end. I know exactly how the the eighty NBA Finals went. I know about Magic, you know, taking control in Game Six and all that. Like, there's stuff that I feel like is it's just so crucial to NBA lore that you 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 know what's going to happen. What were you going to say, Ross? Oh, I was going to say what what do you all hope for in season two? You know, they sort of leave us with a little bit of a breadcrumb with the uh, Kareem Finals MVP bit. They had resolved the kind of Kareem magic tension so utterly before the season even wrapped such that you're like, oh, there's not much to ring here in future episodes or future seasons because these guys are now like have total mutual respect and are sort of perfect teammates together and having heart to hearts, you know, at the airport before games. And so they kind of teased a little bit of like, here's how, you know, this, uh, this conflict could reassert itself in season two. Obviously, the Celtics are going to loom large because um, they're going to have their moment in the sun, regrettably. We're going to get the ascent of Pat Riley. But yeah, what, what do we want to see in season two? So I do think season two is going to have one of the most dramatic moments in Showtime history, which is you know before, before Riley, we have to figure out you know, how West Head gets out the door. Yeah. Right. And that's, a, that's absolutely just bonkers moment in real life. Um, so I think that'll be fun. And, and that, that's something where in retrospect, right? Like Magic, I feel like, not to spoil season two of Winning Time, but Magic sort of took the blame at the time. And now it's like, ah, it was more complicated than people thought. Yeah. Or whatever. You know, there's stuff to dig into there that's really interesting. That'll be fun. I don't know. We got two more seasons going against the Sixers before we even get into the Celtics um, drama. So, yeah, what, 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 uh, I, I have to imagine they've ordered a second season of this show hmm. that, that that season two is going to have to compress things because I don't think the 80-81 season where the Lakers change coaches and make the first round of the playoffs is, is sort of, I don't know if there's enough there to sustain a whole season, whereas obviously 82, you know, they get back to the finals and stuff like, you know, may, maybe they start to speed things up a little bit. Well, the next season they've, I think it's unavoidable. They have to lose to the Celtics in the next season. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. got to. That's got to be it. Now, what's that? Three years later, that yeah. is eighty four. Yeah, yeah. it's eighty four. They've got to get to eighty four. Yeah. I don't think there's any viable way to tell the story without that being in the second season. So it's kind of the the, the sort of the dark season of like ups and downs and and the Celtics right. on the rise and stuff like that. Sure, right. Uh, yeah, I mean that makes sense. Well, in the, this season opens with magic at caesar sinai right foreshadowing the the hiv diagnosis and so yeah presumably they want to land there um david you know more about the business of hollywood than we do and and mm. the odds of this show getting to three four seasons but it feels to me like you could see a three season arc where they lose to the celtics in 84 at the end of season two they come back and they have the the sort of glory of 87 and the magic baby skyhook and then they end on sort of magic's hiv diagnosis and his sort of pivot to a new life and ultimately the end of showtime i would say i would foresee at least three seasons Mm. the show has been a rating success 
mm-hmm. which is it's had the kind of numbers I think that HBO is probably really thrilled with in that it's grown its audience over the season. You know, it didn't open big and then shrink. It's actually grown. So I have to assume that indicates like good word of mouth and you know whatever the kind of things they want from a big glitzy streaming show that I assume costs a ton of money to make because this thing has mm-hmm. a huge cast as a lot of famous people in it. Mm-hmm. And it just does nothing about it. it looks particularly cheap. But I also am someone who will flick on a 30 for 30 that I've seen before or whatever, like some documentary where like, yeah, I know what this is about and I know how it ends. But there's something comforting about taking trips down memory lane. So easy question. Who's your MVP of the series? I want to say it's, it's actually going to be Gabby Hoffman is Claire, Claire Rothman. Sure. Kind of an under the radar, but yet yeah, really good. I she love Claire great. Rothman's character. I feel like she is almost near like fourth wall sort of awareness of exactly what's going on both at the show level and in the story around her whenever i get a little tired they seem to know exactly when to inject a good claire scene um and yeah she's just also tired and i'm like yeah we're here yeah a very good audience surrogate as well in that she's often kind of like Oh, you know, kind of like trying to keep things stable amid all the craziness around her. My favorite scene is when the, you know, marketing associates try to figure out how to turn a profit. And they're pitching all these things to her. And the thing that, that they pitch is the having a mascot. And it, the mascot is slam duck. And <laughs> yes. they cut to her face. And it right. is perfect. Slam duck, <laughs> slam duck. The details were still uh, adjusting, yeah. but we took the broad. Kill dr- the duck. Done. What? Shoot him, stuff him, eat him, roast him. I don't care. Just get rid of him. The rest of it, I like. Uh, oh, man. What about you, Ross? Adrian Brody's Pat Riley, I'm extremely here for. Um, I feel like he has genuine stakes. Uh, early in the season when it was sort of his at sea period, right. and he was spending a lot of time like, doing renovations and stuff. I was like, ah, I'm not feeling this at all. But once he's sort of in the mix, he has a fire to him and isn't made ridiculous the way that Westhead is with all the Shakespeare stuff. Like, I'm kind of rooting for Pat Riley in a way that I might not have expected that I would have been going in. In the later parts of the season, the last four or five episodes, every time he's on screen, that's where my eyes are. I'm kind of watching him. So I, he's my MVP. When Pat Riley was introduced and he's got like shaggy hair and a big mustache and he's kind of a chump, like he's kind of a like not sure what to do with himself. I was very thrown because obviously my image of Riley is mm. is the Armani suit, you know, slick back hair. But I agree that he's he's maybe the most compelling of the sort of coach narratives and, and he do you do feel him caring. Obviously, Siegel has to play Westhead as this guy who sort of always has one foot out the door like that, that like he's he he struggles, I think, with being the sort of classic NBA coach who gives like fiery speeches. But I do like how they're sort of building out Pat Riley, who obviously will be a crucial character if they make many seasons of this. I do want to shout out Devon Nixon, Norm Nixon's actual son playing Norm (laughs) Nixon. Which is always funny whenever that happened. It happened in the, you know, uh, straight out of Compton movie where Ice Cube's son played Ice Cube. Um, <laughs> but I do, it must be funny. We're like, hey, does it, do any of these guys have kids who maybe could just act? Is there anyone, <laughs> anyone out there? Um, I, I, my MVP is kind of Tracy Letts as well as Jack McKinney. Like, that's just, 
for one, Tracy Letts is just, uh, he's a playwright first and foremost, but he's a very, very good character actor. For two, just like, that's the character with the contained arc this season, the grandest sort of tragic arc. Like, you know, everyone else is going to have more stuff to do. McKinney is kind of contained to this year. And I was just very compelled by him anytime he was on screen, even though I knew where he was going. Uh, but anyway, everyone, I think everyone's pretty good, though. That does it for the show. Uh, thanks, guys, for, for everything. Uh, the review is produced by Kevin Townsend with help from AC Valdez. The executive producer of Atlantic Podcast is Claudine Abade. And our artist by Charlie Lumignon. I'm David Sims. Thanks, Van. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Ross. Thanks for having me on. All right. Go Knicks. Always rooting for the Hornets. Uh, nothing to say for the Lakers. <laughs> Fair enough. This episode of Radio Atlantic is brought to you by Microsoft Copilot for Security, completely integrated into your organization's security infrastructure. This AI companion is informed by 78 trillion signals daily to help you catch the threats others miss and reinforce your team's security posture efficiently. It synthesizes data from numerous sources and can analyze 500 lines of code in under a minute to put critical guidance at defenders' fingertips. It helps teams detect threats and take action in minutes instead of hours or days, which can reduce attack investigation time by up to 40%. Copilot also serves as a key second pair of eyes, upskilling junior analysts with advanced capabilities, which frees up senior staff to focus on strategic priorities, all while safeguarding your data privacy. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Copilot for security.